You've heard of BetaShares. You've probably seen the logo on our podcast. You might even be among their 1 million investors. So you can imagine that I'm delighted to say BetaShares is the official ETF partner of the Australian Finance Podcast. With nearly 100 exchange-traded funds, you can go to betashares.com.au and immerse yourself in ETFs and unique insights covering all of the sectors, themes, core and satellite positions you could want. Think cybersecurity through the Hack ETF, robotics and AI with the RBTZ ETF, and uranium with the URNM ETF. The list goes on. To explore the BetaShares ETF range, visit betashares.com.au, read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website, and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rusk. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rusk Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rusk AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. Oh, and welcome back to our summer series on the Australian Finance Podcast. Yes, we're talking about one of our favorite topics, Kate. It's great to be here. Uh, Talking about ETFs or exchange-traded funds. Now, we've done a lot of ETF episodes over the years, and I know last January in our summer series, we talked about different Australian ETFs, so I thought, why not mix things up? We know we need a bit of excitement in the world of finance, Mm -hmm. so we're going to talk about international ETFs, so they're investing in companies outside of Australia. Yes, it's one of the easiest ways to invest in the names you know, like Apple, Facebook, or Meta, as it's called these days, Google, or Alphabet, as it's called, NVIDIA, Tesla, all of those businesses you probably know of or you use every day, Microsoft, Nike, these businesses are overseas. So how do you invest in them? An ETF is one of the best ways to do that. Yeah. So I've challenged Owen to come up with six to share with us. I haven't really had a look at the list, so I'll be surprised right along with you, listener. Mm -hmm. But to kick things off, Owen, we should probably explain what an ETF is for anyone that's new to the podcast. Yes. So I'll be quick because there's a lot of people who do know. Uh, ETFs, not to be confused with EFT. EFT is what you do when you tap your card and you get a coffee. That's EFT, FPOS. It's not that. It's ETF, which stands for Exchange Traded Fund. And all it means is that you can invest in a fund that's listed on the exchange. Let's unpack that a minute. So basically, if you imagine HelloFresh or you know a meal delivery service, instead of picking which carrots and apples go inside it or which stocks go inside your portfolio, you just get the whole box, which in this case is an ETF. You can have an ETF that invests in all of the US share market, 
So you get a bit of all of them, or you can have an ETF that invests in just the big ones in the US, or you can have one that invests here in Australia in say like the ASX 200, the top 200 shares. But ETFs also do more than just shares. You can use ETFs for bonds, which we don't need to get into today. You can use an ETF to invest in gold. You can use an ETF to invest in Bitcoin. Basically, all it is is just a way to invest in a basket. And so uh, today, we're only talking about the, the baskets that have international shares in them, so some shares outside Australia. And uh, that's basically it. I think that ETFs, uh, they started a few decades ago now, but it's only in the last 10 years Australian investors have kind of cottoned onto them. And what we saw from Perla, who was one of our sponsors, um, what we found in their data is that nearly nine out of 10 people use ETFs for like their investing. And it makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And one of the reasons we like ETFs continuing on from your HelloFresh analogy is because you get to know the list of ingredients, all the companies that are inside. There's no secrets. It's all written on the website. So you get mm. to know what you're investing in. So if you wanted to invest in particular companies or avoid particular companies, you can find an ETF that does that in most cases. Yes, absolutely. And uh, there's now about 300 ETFs in Australia, and they come in all different flavors and shapes. So we've got enough now that you can build an entire portfolio of ETFs. One of the magical benefits, other than just transparency and seeing what's inside, because shocker, for those of you that don't know, in the past, you wouldn't know what's inside your investment fund until you invested in it. And then even then, you'd only get the top 10 positions, even if it had 100 different shares inside. But with ETFs, by design, they have to publish the full list because they have to know what goes inside of it every time you press buy or sell in your brokerage account. Uh, by the way, you buy them just like you do any share. You need a brokerage account, uh, like Perla, Comsec, Selfwealth, any of these names, Stake, any of these names. Um, but the other big benefit of ETFs is they're typically low cost. So some listeners will be familiar with listed investment companies or LICs, often called LICs. Uh, ETFs, on average, are about half the cost and falling. So um, lower cost, transparency, easy to buy and sell. Um, you know what you're getting every time you click buy in your brokerage account. Uh, so it's pretty easy to see why ETFs have a bigger and better role to play in our portfolios in the future. Yep. And if you want to learn more about ETFs, we've got a free ETF investing course that'll be linked in the show notes and an ETF mini series we did on the podcast Super a while popular. back that is very popular, which I'll link as well. But Owen, some people might be wondering... If I'm in Australia and I can invest in Australian companies, why would I invest in companies that are outside of our borders? Yes, yeah, sure. So all of those brokers that I just mentioned um, allow you to buy international shares. So an international share is anything that's basically not listed on the Australian Stock Exchange or ASX. So good examples, Apple, Microsoft, Google slash Alphabet, Berkshire Hathaway, Costco, all of these businesses are US businesses, uh, Unilever, uh, many other businesses from you know Standard Chartered Bank if you're from the UK. So many businesses are not Australian. In fact, 98% of the world's companies are not Australian. So the question is, well, how do you get access to them? You can use a brokerage account like the ones that I just mentioned, and it's pretty straightforward. Um, I think Perla has the most transparent pricing when it comes to buying international shares because there's something that has to happen. Between you and buying those international shares, you've got to remember that you've got to convert your currency. So some brokers do that automatically and they make money that way. So they say, we have no brokerage fees. There's no transaction fee to buy and sell. However, they clip the ticket. They make a spread when you transfer your AUDs to USDs to buy, for example. And basically, if you invest in international shares that way, you can pick which shares you want to own. And it's pretty quick these days. 
However, there are some drawbacks. So you've got to convert the currency, which costs money. Uh, for some brokers, it costs a lot, by the way. Um, and then you've got to pay the transaction fee. Uh, then you've got to worry about which international shares you're going to buy and where do you find the research, and so on and so forth. Or you can just buy an ETF. And the benefit of this is that most ETFs in Australia don't have all the tax complications and the issues that um, many of the other direct share investments have. So for most ETFs, many of the listeners will know this, you don't have to fill out that pesky W-8 Ben form, which is a tax form from the United States. Anytime you invest in US shares um, that are from the US, uh, US tax domicile, it's called, you have to fill in that form. An ETF means, most ETFs in Australia mean you don't have to do that. And so you get one purchase that's taking care of the currency, the transaction fee, the diversification, it's all done for you. So an ETF makes sense if you want to get access to 98% of the world's stock markets uh, and some of the, and arguably the best companies in the world. I won't say some of them, I'll say the best companies in the world are outside of Australia. And so you get all of those benefits. And the best way, in my opinion, to do that is an ETF that you buy and sell just like your normal Telstra shares or CBA shares sits right beside it in your ASX brokerage account. There's an ETF that invests internationally for you. I remember writing an article many years ago on how to invest internationally without leaving your couch. And mm -hmm. it's true, we can invest in these great global businesses that are changing the world without leaving the house. We can just download the brokerage app. We don't have to leave the country. We can set things up and use an ETF to invest in all of these companies, which mm. is fantastic. It makes investing a lot more accessible. It means that we're not missing out in Australia. We still have access and ETFs mm. are some of the easiest ways to invest internationally. But Definitely. if we're thinking about our portfolio and we're using ETFs as building blocks to build our core portfolio, how do you think about using ETFs in a portfolio? Yeah, sure. So now I mentioned so before I mentioned that ETFs now cover basically everything that you would want to invest in. So we use this idea of a core and a satellite Kate, which you know very well. A core uh, component of your portfolio would be like the boring, low-cost, long-term investing. It's the type of thing that if you had it on automation, you wouldn't even notice it's doing its thing in the background. That's your core portfolio. And we use ETFs at RASC. We use ETFs for just about all of that. And uh, when I say just about, it is all of that, but it, I'll explain why it's a bit nuanced in a second. And what we're looking for there are low fees. We're looking for diversification. We're looking for ETFs from reputable providers. And all of the ETFs that we use at RASC are listed on the ASX. So you can, you know how we're just saying you can invest in like Nike or Apple shares directly. You can invest in ETFs that are on the US stock exchange or anywhere else, but we only use ETFs that are here in Australia. Um, so the common names here in Australia, like Vanguard Australia, GlobalX, uh, BlackRock or iShares, uh, Spider or State Street, they've got some of them have a few different names, BetaShares, Vanek. These are all Australian providers of ETFs, and we only use those providers for our ETFs. There is one exception to that at the moment, which is Fidelity, which is not an ETF, but I'll explain why in a minute. Those all go into our core. So low cost, simple, easy to understand, proven track records. Now, when it comes to the satellite, this is where things get fun, a bit more spicy. You can put things like thematic ETFs, like I think robotics are going to be big or cybersecurity is important. So you can get ETFs that just invest in those things. Now, the thing is, they sound great and you easily get swept up if you're a new investor. Oh, hydrogen. That sounds cool. Not really realizing that those are very risky ETFs. So ETFs can be risky. We're not saying they're all safe and you can lose money for sure. But you have a separate part of your portfolio. That's the satellite. That's where you take those individual bets. Um, so whereas your core portfolio, I would say, needs to be five, 10 or 20 year time horizon. Like 
you invest that money because you want to let it grow for a very long time. The satellite could be shorter term, maybe two or three, five years, something like that. And here you can take a view on things. And this is where investing gets fun. You might say, well, I can invest in, I don't know, maybe cryptocurrency is one example of things that might go in here in a very small amount, like one or 2% of your portfolio. Um, maybe you put things like uh, gold or robotics in, uh, robotics ETF. Or maybe you think, I actually like shares and I want to buy Microsoft shares because I think they're the best in AI. So I'm going to buy the shares and they're going to sit in my satellite. As you know, Kate, one of the things that you've impressed upon me is that when you do core and satellite investing, you don't need to do the satellite. That's the important thing. If you can't be bothered, don't do it. But if you are going to do it, put your core portfolio with one broker and put your satellite with another. That just lets you have the mental separation and physical digital separation that you know that anytime you're in this brokerage platform, you know it's a bit of fun. It's not that serious. You still want to make money, but you know you could lose. And that's what satellite investing is all about. And then in your core portfolio, you know that's just probably automated. It's long-term. It's really boring. It just happens in the background. You don't need to check it that often other than when maybe you do your tax or you rebalance your portfolio. So that's how I'd separate them. Most people in the future, I don't think, will do satellite investing. I think they'll just do core investing and it'll happen all automated for them. But that's how we separate it. And I still love to buy individual shares. They just don't go in my core. So back to ETFs. That's where we're building our core. That's what people should focus on. Now, I know a question you get a lot and you see the terminology maybe when you're reading a US investing book is this concept of an index fund. Mm -hmm. Now, are ETFs index fund or is there some differences we need to know about? Yeah, they're different. So people think that index investing, which is what uh, Vanguard is very well known for, although shocker, Vanguard did definitely not invent the index fund. People should know that. They did not. It wasn't even in the ballpark, right? John Bogle talked about it uh, earlier with a thesis, but it wasn't him that invented it, uh, nor was it the first one. Um, and so the idea is that an index fund just follows an, an index. So what's an index? An index is just like a benchmark. It's like a thing that you can track the overall stock market with. So in Australia, the ASX 200 or the All Ords is what Koshi might have read out on the TV. Um, in the US, they might say the S&P 500. Um, and these, what these are, these are just funds. So index funds are just pools of money that just track that over time. They buy all of the shares on the entire stock market and they just follow it like robotically. They just track it. If the index goes down, they go down. If it goes up, they go up. That's what it does. Now, people confuse index investing with ETFs. An ETF can have anything inside it, basically. So they rose to fame because they used index strategies inside of them. But now increasingly what we're seeing is active funds management where there's an actual stock picker using an ETF wrapper around his or her portfolio and offers that to investors. So definitely not is the answer that it's not true that all index funds are ETFs or all ETFs are index funds. They're two separate things. It's just that most of the popular ETFs have index strategies inside of them. And so when we build the core of our portfolio, we are using those index fund ETFs, but you could use the index funds by going direct to the provider's website rather than using the ETF. We just prefer the ETF because it allows you to buy and sell in your brokerage account. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a good starting point to go off. So now we're probably ready to jump into our mm -hmm. six ETFs, our six international ETFs. So, oh, and the first one you've got on the list is IVV. Tell us about that. Yeah. So IVV is from iShares. iShares is a department of BlackRock. BlackRock is the biggest fund provider in the world. So people don't really know that in Australia, at least listeners of this, they probably think that Vanguard's the biggest. 
It's BlackRock. Um, and so BlackRock has this brand called iShares. And typically what you see in those ETFs is their ticker symbol, the, the three or four letters starts with I. In this case, we've got IVV, which is their most popular. IVV just invests in the top 500 US shares. It's one of the longest running ETFs in Australia. It's one of the biggest, and it is one of the lowest cost, super low cost. And it's easy to see why it's most popular um, for this style of investing. Uh, I think it's better than the Vanguard equivalent, which is the VTS ETF, by the way. Um, in Australia, at least, there's another one in the US. But in Australia, there's a VTS ETF, but that doesn't have the same tax structure as the IVV ETF. So I prefer IVV. Um, and you just get what it says on the tin. S&P 500, like the top 500 US um, companies like Apple, Amazon, all those companies wrapped up in that one ETF. So this is a type of ETF that investors can use in their core portfolio absolutely. as one of those building blocks. Yeah, it's one of our core chosen core ETFs at risk. Absolutely it is. The other one that people know pretty well is VGS. So VGS is the global ETF for Vanguard. VGS, unlike IVV, VGS also includes other parts of the world. So IVV only includes US listed companies. So that's a pretty big market. It's the biggest market in the world. But VGS goes a step further and says, you can have the US, but you can also have Japan, Europe, emerging markets. Like you can have everything in there. So emerging markets might be like in China, say, for example. Um, and you can get all of that in there in one big trade. So it'd be like saying, if you have two ETFs, you've got one for Australia, and then you've got one for the rest of the world kind of thing. Um, and that includes over a 1,000 different shares in it, whereas IVV only has about 500. Um, and the question I often get is, well, why would you go with IVV and not VGS? Like, mm. Would you want more diversification? Is it better to have more countries represented in your portfolio? The answer is I don't think so. Um, and the reason I have that view is I, it's not, I don't want to be overconfident here, but I just don't see how the USA is not the best place to invest in the world. So let me back that up. So for those of you that don't know, the USA spends more on its defense than the next 10 countries combined. Uh, the USA has, the Defense Department is one of the biggest employers in the world. I think it's second or third in the world in terms of employers. And the US has exported not just its currency, the US dollar is the world's reserve currency. It's also exported its consumerism, its flavor of democracy and capitalism. It's exported basically like its influence over the world. Like we're sitting here today, we're all using Apple products. Some of us might use Android, which is Google. And that's probably a good point to mention. You've talked about it on the show before that companies in the US are sold and mm. used all over the world. So there's Apple stores in Australia, even though it's a company in the US I can walk into an Apple store in Chadston and buy a new phone. So these mm. products are getting sold throughout the world. They're employing people in many different countries. Absolutely, Kate. And yeah, thanks for bringing that up. So it, another thing that people don't really know is that it ebbs and flows from one year to the next. But loosely, of those 500 companies in the S&P 500, so the USA's IVV ETF in this case, the USA's top 500 companies, 30% of their sales is from outside the United States. So what you're getting, even though you invest just in the, the US listed companies, they have exposure to the rest of the world. So Starbucks, one of the biggest growth drivers of Starbucks, which is a US company, is Chinese stores. Nike, China. Apple, 
China. You know, the one area where those companies aren't going to do well in China is electric cars. It looks like Tesla's going to lose there, even though it does sell into that market. Um, but if you are looking for exposure to the world, you don't have to invest in everything in the world to do that. Um, you know, there's so many great companies, like even BHP here in Australia, its biggest customer is China, Fortescue. So you don't have to invest in a Chinese stock to get Chinese, like the benefit of the Chinese consumer growing mm. or the Indian consumer for that matter. But what you do get by investing in the USA is a regulated environment. You get the most dominant country in the world. You've got a very good geopolitical situation and you only need to look at 2022 and 2023 with the politics in China to know that if you think like it's good having that exposure, it's probably not the best thing. And also, one final thing I add on here for VGS versus IVV is that everyone listening to this has either seen v movies of Europe or been to Europe and would know that it's a very different culture around business in Europe versus the United States. Obviously, in the United States, it's pro-capitalism, right? Uh, Pro-money making. In, the, in Europe, they tend to do things that encourage the, the world to stay the same not to innovate. And so basically what you're getting in uh, the USA when you invest in IVV is you're getting the world's most innovative companies, the country that's the most innovative, um, the country that has the most defense, the country that exports the most of their brand and consumer goods. So that's why I would choose IVV over VGS. All right. If we want to really focus in on US companies, the next one you've got on your list is NDQ. Yeah, one of the best performing ETFs in Australia over 10 years. It's exceptional, or indexes, I should say. The NDQ ETF from BetaShares tracks the NASDAQ 100, which is basically, like you said, a concentrated version of the IVV one. Uh, this has only 100, but these are only companies that are on what's the NASDAQ stock exchange. For a bit of education, in the USA, there are multiple stock exchanges, three big ones, in fact. Here in Australia, there's only one major one, which is the ASX. And it's surprising to some people, but the ASX is not the only stock exchange in Australia. It just happens to be the one. It's and, got the best marketing budget. And it only it only was like basically incorporated in 1987. People don't know that. Like it's not that old. Mm. I say that as someone born in the 90s. <laughs> so not to give away too much of my age, but it's <laughs> nearly my age. Um, whereas in the US, like those some of those exchanges have been going over 100 years. 150 years, you know? And so um, basically what you get over there is you only get companies that are from the NASDAQ stock exchange. And the reason why that's important is because the NASDAQ came to prominence in the early 2000s and late 90s when all of the tech companies were, the internet came out and they were needed to go and get investor funds. And so basically on that exchange, you have Apple, you have Microsoft, you have all of those types of businesses. So you get a more concentrated bet on tech which is fine, but the, the key thing to keep in mind is that the IVV ETF includes a lot of those companies. So for that reason, we prefer the IVV ETF, not just NDQ or the NASDAQ 100. That said, you could blend them together so you could have IVV alongside um, NDQ. There's a new ETF from GlobalX, um, full disclosure, long-term long sponsor of the show. Oh, and BetaShares was a long-term sponsor of the Australian Investors Podcast. So there's two disclosures there. Um, but uh, N100 was an ETF launched by Globalex in 2023. Um, N100 does a similar thing to NDQ, but it does it at a lower price. So um, you can go with the one with the established track record or the newer, cheaper alternative um, and just compare them side by side. So those are the, that's probably the three. So we've got IVV, VGS, and NDQ. 
all providing different flavors of yeah. companies. And at the end of this session, you could say, well, I like the sound of that. I'm going to go research that one. Or I didn't like the sound of that one. That one's off the list. That's basically what we're doing. We're not saying to go and invest mm. in them. And um, I think that's the great thing about listening to these kind of episodes is they just give you a starting point for your yeah. own research. And then you can go, okay, I'm going to go look at the Vanguard website and explore the VGS ETF and everything that's inside of it and the fees. And you start to research and learn about ETFs that way. I think it's something that you learn through practical application mm. of doing your own research and really figuring things out. Yeah. Um, on the Perla website, not to bring up too much again, but on the Perla website, those first three, IVV, VGS and NDQ are amongst the top 10 purchased in 2023. Well, there you go. So it shows you what's kind of popular. All right. Next up, you have an ETF called Qual. Q-U-A-L is the ticket code. Yep. So, Qual, um, let's take a bit of a different turn with this one. So, the first three are what you would call pure indexes. So, they just invest in index strategies, like the whole stock market, the yep. whole NASDAQ. This one is different. So, this one invests in international shares, but it only invests in shares that meet certain criteria. So, the criteria are basically trying to replicate what they think is a quality company. So, in this instance, um, not to bore anyone too much, but what it would give you is it would give you companies that have a high profitability rate. So, we call that return on equity. They would have consistent profits and they would have low levels of debt, basically. And so, that's just like the, the abbreviated version. But if you take those three things and you've got a list of all the companies in the world and you rank them from top to bottom, it would just take the top 300 every time. So it would go, what's the list? Let's take those 300. And then they do it again in a couple of months. What's the list? We'll take those 300 and sell whatever is no longer in that list. And that's basically all it does. It's called the Qual ETF to infer quality. Uh, and this is what we call, not to get too far into the weeds, but this is what we call a factor ETF. And the reason we call it a factor ETF is because quality is one of the factors that people like to see in companies. They want to see a high quality company. And so we call it uh, a factor ETF. Um, and it's very simple that you end up with 300 companies. Um, it does charge a little bit more in fees because it is a little bit unique. That tends to be the way it goes. The more niche or unique, the more fees you pay. Um, special note for anyone that does go and research this, if you already own IVV or VGS or one of the or NDQ, you would want to look at something called overlap. Um, the, what that basically means is like look at the top holdings in Qual on the Van Eck website and look at the, the other holdings and you'll see that a lot of companies are similar. So you may not want that much overlap in your portfolio. All right. The next ETF you've got is Moat. And we've talked about it a few times on the show before. I do really like the ticket code. I don't own this one, but it's it's always got a soft spot in my heart. Yeah. So the reason I brought this one to the mix is because it creates a very, it leaves people with a lot of questions. So I used to be a huge fan of Moat and I owned the ETF for many years. It was one of my longest running ETFs that I own. Um, so for those of you that have followed the show for a long time, you'll know we talk a lot about companies with competitive advantages. So like Apple, it's its brand. It's its iOS ecosystem. Like Monique, our producer, absolutely loves Apple these days after transitioning from iOS. She's laughing over in the corner. She's threatening to go back to Android because it doesn't have a back button. But anyway, um, everyone loves Apple. You know, once you go Mac, you never go back. Um, and that's an example of a company that has a very strong competitive advantage because there's, it's a unique company, it sells a product that people love and they pay extra for it. And so in its essence, what you're trying to do when you're investing is you're trying to find those companies if that's what you want to do. 
And so what Moat does is it tries to combine the best elements of a human making an assessment of which companies have a competitive advantage, otherwise known as a moat, like the protective ring around it. Lots of alligators. Yeah, lots of alligators. Which of those companies meet that for passing the human test? So a human actually looks at like these analysts from Morningstar actually go around and look at these companies. Then it combines it with a low valuation. So what is it doing? It's basically saying there are two lists. One is the companies with the strongest moats or brands in this case or lowest costs or whatever, some advantage that they have. What are those companies? And then let's match that list with the companies that seem to be the most good value. And if you get a match, then you get 40 stocks. That's your portfolio. So it does that all in the background. And the reason why people struggle to understand this one is because they don't know where to put it in their portfolio. Is it a core or is it a satellite? Is it a human ETF? Like is a human driving this or is it just more like formulaic? And I think it's a bit of both. And that's why people are increasingly struggling with the core and satellite. Like it's a bit higher fee and it seems to have human involvement. But there's only 40 companies, so that's not as much diversification. Exactly. So yeah. I yeah. think I think the Mo ETF is a very good one for your satellite. I just don't know if it fits in your core. I think I, I would be happy to own it, and I did for many years, and I'd probably buy it again in the future, let's be honest. Um, but it's similar to Qual because at the end of the day, instead of uh, the Qual uses like a quantitative measure, like if this, then that, Moat uses the human to make that assessment effectively. Mm. Um, so you probably wouldn't have both of them in your portfolio and you could p- compare them side by side, but I'd probably go uh, with Moat in the satellite. Why would you choose to layer that over an ETF like IVV that we mentioned first? So basically, if you do IVV, you're getting just the biggest companies. Why you would use Moat is you would probably want exposure to some human element in there as well. So one of the things that might happen and one of the adverse reactions of using index funds, and people should be aware of this, is if you index funds are the best. There's no, I think there's no doubt about that anymore. Index funds are the best strategies for the long term, but they're not perfect and because one of the things that they cause is they actually cause uh, volatility. So what I mean by that is your portfolio going up and down a lot. With an index strategy, what you end up getting is you end up getting lots of the biggest companies because the big companies rise to the top and they become a bigger part of your portfolio. What you may want to do is you may want to diversify by having an ETF that does something different just for the sake that it does something a little bit different. Mm -hmm. So it still performs well, but it does it at different times. That's what we call correlation or diversification. You don't want things that are moving in exactly the same way all the time. And so with the Moat ETF, you could have a small position there and you could use it in an environment, for example, when you think that the economy is going to struggle. So if you think about it, if you think the American economy is going to struggle, that goes into recession or something, what are the types of companies you want to own? You want to own the companies that have competitive advantages, the strong companies, the companies that have um, really good management teams and have lowest prices and the best customers. That's what the that's the type of uh, company that would end up in moat. So you could blend that in there and you might take a view that, hey, the economy is going to enter a recession this year. I want to invest in the very best companies, not all of my portfolio, but I want to see how that goes. And that's probably when I'd use it. Okay, wonderful. All right. The final ETF you've got is a little bit different to the others on the list. And I'm sure you'll tell us exactly why, but it's F-E-M-X, Femex. Yes. And so this is the something 
that I wanted to bring in just to illustrate all of the points that we've raised. So Femex, as it's uh, well known, Femex is totally different to the others. And it's not even an ETF, but it looks like an ETF. It even quacks like an ETF, but it does not, it's not an ETF. It's a managed fund. So it behaves in exactly the same way. When you invest in it, you do it through your brokerage account, like again, Comsec, Pearl, or Selfwell Stake. You buy it the same way, except what you get inside of it is you actually get an active strategy. So the others that we've mentioned, Moat and Qual are both factor-based. NDQ, VGS, and IVV are index strategies, but this one is an active strategy. So this is where portfolio managers, a team of analysts, are actually making decisions of which shares to buy and sell. And it's bought and sold exactly the same way. But due to the conventions in Australia, we have to call it a managed fund. It just happens to be listed on the stock exchange. Uh, and it, if you think about it, it does exactly the same thing as an ETF, like almost identical in every way. So we sh probably should think of it as an ETF, but legally you have to refer to it slightly differently. So what do you get? You get a portfolio of about 40 shares, and those shares come predominantly from emerging markets. So emerging markets are places like China, um, some of the Asian countries in India. So these are companies that aren't represented in an ETF like IVV. And that's why I put it on the list, because I wanted to illustrate to you that VGS is great. That's the Vanguard one. That invests in the whole of the world. But you don't have any flexibility. If you want to sell a little bit of your Chinese shares, you can't just go to Vanguard and be like, hey, guys, I noticed that like Chinese stocks were like 2% of the portfolio. Can we get rid of those and I'll just have the rest? You can't do that. Mm. So what you probably want is a bit more flexibility. So you can just take the US one, which is IVV, and then you can add the other parts of the world as you want them. And this is really important because for the last five or 10 years, those markets like China and that have been absolutely horrible investments, like absolutely terrible. Even though every professional on the television and you know has said, oh, emerging markets, you know, Chinese growth story, India's rapidly growing, they've actually been horrible investments. So you want to be able to pick and choose when you do them, and an ETF like this is a good way to do it. On top of that, I actually think that even though I said index funds are the bee's knees, and they are, I think that you can use active strategies like this one when it is appropriate to do so. You'll pay more in fees. It is a risky bet because you're making a, you know, a, a change, but this has the track record. It's run by Fidelity, which is probably the world's best global fund manager. Um, it comes at just under 1% in fees, which is a little high, but for an active strategy, you know, I'm happy to pay them. Uh, and in those markets where it's a little bit uncertain, um, like around the geopolitics, the governance of those countries, I'm happy to have experts on the ground that make decisions. Would this be something that a higher growth investor uses yes. in a portfolio? Yes. So this is not something that you need to have, I don't think. It's also something that you don't want to put a lot of money into. I see a lot of so I see a lot of Rask's competitors when they make portfolios. Like one in particular I know and I won't name them, they have like 30% of their clients' portfolios in emerging markets. And like I just said, emerging markets have done horribly. So that is definitely not a strategy that I would pursue because as promising as the Asian countries are, predominantly Asian, um, I just don't think you need to have a lot of them in your portfolio because it just hasn't translated. Like that growth that they see in their economies and with their civilization, you don't actually see that translate to corporate profits for mm -hmm. many reasons I don't need to get into. 
but I would just have this as like a smaller tactical position for people that want more growth. So let's let's like wrap some actual numbers around this. I don't have our numbers in front of me right now, but if you were a high growth investor and you had a lot of your money in the share markets around the world, you'd probably have 5% max, absolute max 10% in the emerging markets overall. This wouldn't be 10% for most portfolios. It wouldn't, it'd probably be 5% at most. Do most people get exposure to emerging markets through their super funds anyway? Yeah. So the, the super funds will have an exposure. Some of the super funds, like the future fund, um, they have a very bold take on these parts of the world. And so do some of them. And you can use basically most of these ETFs you can get if you use one of those industry funds that allow you to buy and sell your own ETFs. A lot of them allow you to buy these types of ETFs. Um, but yeah, they normally do it for you, um, but you can do it yourself. I'm not saying that you should. You should always seek the advice of a trusted professional, of course. But this just gives people a flavor. These six yeah. ETFs, they're just for your watch list as you th move throughout 2024. We don't want you to go out and buy these. We want to be very clear. We want you to use them as a tool for discovery, to learn more. And some of the platforms like Raise or even Perla Micro, uh, Sharesies, they allow you to invest $5, 10 $20 sometimes. Go and do that. Just go and put a little bit of money in if you're new and see what it feels like. Mm. You're better off... Just going and doing that now, it's a very important lesson. It doesn't cost as much as a, um, a diploma or a university degree to learn what it feels like to be an investor because that's what will get you to an early retirement. So go and learn, practice with very small amounts of money at first until you are confident. And if you're in any way confused, you should always speak to your financial advisor and don't forget to read the product disclosure statement. That tells you everything about each of the ETFs. It's available on their website. It's free. It tells you what they do, how they do it, how you charge the taxes and give them a call give them a call if you've got oh, any questions they should all have help teams and owen's been quite strategic in picking etfs from most of the different providers so yeah. to get you going onto different websites and looking at the investment options there so you can start mm. to compare and see what are some of the similarities what are some of the differences and that can slowly help you inform well how do i want my portfolio to look like yeah actually something i haven't told you about kate we actually just came out with a fund comparison tool at rask it's we in did. the early stages okay so we'll put a link in the show notes to the fund comparison tool but basically you can see the performance and also the risk measures so how they've Mm. gone up and down side by side and you can compare up to four ETFs at a time uh, as well as shares by the way uh, and we're adding to that in 2024 we're bringing like what are the top holdings where are they invested what are the fees so all of that is coming in 2024 so if you have feedback for us let us know cool. you can go and compare them side by side wow that's it that's it don't forget the ETF course the ETF mini series uh, we'll be back with five ways to buy happiness if you can even do that in the next installment of the summer series so Kate as always, it's a pleasure. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? 
Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. Are you thinking about starting your wealth creating journey, but not sure where to put your hard earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no-obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.